You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we journey through the needed conversation so that we can live, lead, and love better in this life. I'm your host, San, and I'm so grateful to be with you today. See, this one is a heavy topic, but I'm still excited because we get to continue to press into the reps and sets needed for healing and growth. Today, we're talking about shame. And we're going to be asking questions like, what's the difference between shame and guilt? Is there a difference? And is shame all that bad? Like, is it ever useful? And we're also going to discuss how to detox shame out of our lives and reach towards transformation, true and thorough change. See, we may have to split this one up into two episodes. That's how important it is to me because too many of us, myself included, have been seduced by shame and it's got to stop. You ready? Let's work. did it again. I said that the last time was going to be my last time. And yet here I am sitting in the stench of what I told myself I'd never do, let alone do again. What gives? Like, why do I keep falling back into this trap? Is there anybody out there like me? Have you ever caught yourself in the middle of something you said you wouldn't do, let alone do again? Now, this could be anything. Lying, sexual sin, lashing out at a loved one over something trivial, overeating, flirting with someone's spouse, bullying someone in person or online, or being bullied yourself. Could be skimming off the top of the company you work for. You name it. See, shame is an emotion that none of us are immune to. This is a topic that has been discussed at length by pastors, psychologists, philosophers. Right now, Brene Brown is one of the leading voices around the topic as she's been studying it for over two decades. And I believe the Bible also gives great understanding to what shame is and its purpose. And since we know that it affects everyone, it's imperative to explore it, to see if there is something that is of any value to the development of our souls. So first, let's start with a proper definition for shame. Here it is. Shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness or cognizance of shortcoming, impropriety, or humiliating disgrace. Sheesh, even its definition is harsh. But that's what shame is. Harsh to the very core. Now, it's important to note that there is a difference between guilt and shame. See. Guilt and shame are two totally different emotional processes. Guilt is an understanding of failing against a standard. Now, shame is sometimes an identity typically developed out of a performed behavior that is conducted or it's done to the individual. In other words, guilt says, I feel bad. Shame says, I am bad. Another way to put this, just so we have full understanding, is that guilt attaches itself to our actions, but shame attempts to attach itself to our identity. Now, sometimes guilt can lead to making better choices and changing. 
Conviction would be a word used within the context of believers who have even had their souls pricked by Holy Spirit to do or to look at something with a different lens. See, conviction leads to repentance and repentance is a critical key to salvation and authentic transformation. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I did just want to make sure that we have a clear understanding of the difference between guilt and shame. And now that we have that and we understand what guilt is, Let's talk more about shame and what it does to our souls. Shame makes us feel small and dirty. It seeks to make us feel insignificant and it can become a weapon of destruction in parenting, marriages, friendships, and even in the church house. And sometimes it's used as a way to force people to comply to a preference or a desire. So in marriage, here's what that looks like constantly bringing up the mistake of the other spouse, especially in scenarios where the other spouse is trying to confront us about something. So if we have Charlie and Sarah and Charlie says to Sarah, hey, I've got to talk to you about something. And Sarah says, that's great. Before you do that, I just want to remind you of the thing that you did three years ago. That's a form of using shame. And it also shows up in parenting In parenting. What that looks like is blaming a child for why they were bullied at school. Sally, if you only did this, if you only had that, if you only listened to me, then those kids wouldn't tease you about. Another form of that would be expressing massive disappointment in their grades. Right. I'm Jamaican. And <laughs> I think we fall in line with like that whole tiger mom era that was loud and proud at one point. And so what would happen is, let's say Johnny comes home from school and he's got a 97 on his test. A typical Jamaican parent from back in the day might have said, Johnny, welcome to the other three pints. Meaning, why didn't you get the hundred? What happened to the other three points? <laughs> Woo, thank God for salvation. Anyway, in the church, this looks like standing people up and announcing all of the details of their wrongdoings and calling that discipline. Now, hear me healthily. Don't get tight. I'm not saying that discipline doesn't belong in the church, but I am saying that if it's not restorative by nature, then it's not the gospel. See, here's a great filter or question to ask if I'm a leader. If I can't stand the thought of that behavior being done to me, why would I inflict that on another? And I'm glad you asked that question, listener, because I got an answer for you. I think that it's shame because sometimes in an attempt to rid ourselves of shame, we end up passing it on to others. But think about it. It only multiplies without and within. Unfortunately, this type of passing the buck behavior often shows up in those closest to us and it does grave damage. And that's beyond just church. That's in many of our close relationships. Let's keep talking about shame. Shame likes to jump to conclusions and it can be convincing. It often will take on the voice of authority and tries to make us believe that it is our identity. These feelings of shame can be so overwhelming and authoritative. We'll begin to believe that this voice of condemnation is the voice of God. So shame is often the culprit of our identity crisis because it tries to tell us that what we've done is who we are. And if what we've done is who we are, then where's the hope to change? Lies. 
Shame stops us from reflecting the image of God that we were made in. Shame brings doubt and doubt creates a barrier. So now we're lacking intimacy in our most important relationship because we're doubting what? Do you really love me knowing what I did? More lies from shame. Shame is deceptive. And here's how it demands perfection before presentation. But see, perfection is impossible. Excellence is perfection is not. Shame is deceptive. And here's how it demands perfection before presentation. But only excellence is possible. Perfection is not. Shame attempts to keep this truth from you. It woos you into believing that if you can't be perfect, it shouldn't be done at all. You shouldn't even try. Because after all, if you fail, and shame will say you probably will, if you fail, who will love you? Who will think highly of you? Who will accept you? Shame says you'll never recover from the failure because you are a failure. Even more lies from the rotten mouth of shame. Here's another way to look at it. Shame robs us of being able to bond and connect with others. Because if I can't see God loving me, I won't be able to believe others can love me. That is, unless I buy their affection or comply for their attention or perform or work to earn their love. And so what do we do? We hide behind mystery and throw on the swag of doing bad all by ourselves. We are so independent. We don't need nobody. We can do anything that we need without. We can be that island. Matter of fact, we'll go to an island. Better than that, I'll buy an island, right? And the whole time we're posturing and doing all of this, we're longing for authentic connection from someone who can see us fully and yet love us deeply. So we'll either do the super bad, I got this, or we'll take on a different posture. We end up compromising ourselves to people, please, hoping and wishing that if we do whatever's in our power to satisfy them, they won't leave or withhold their love from us. Some of us go as far, especially in the church arena, to fake our healing because of the added guilt we find in people in the church who don't have answers for us. So what do we do? We use the churchy lingo. We wear the uniform and pass off as saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, all while battling from the edge of the cliff of despair, wondering if this gospel even really works. Is there really a remedy for this endless cycle of sin, shame, sin again? Is there a remedy for all of this turmoil going on in the soul because of shame? Let's look to Paul's letter to Romans real, real quick. Let's look to Paul's letter to Romans right quick, because it has insights that may help us make this dynamic make sense. Make it make sense. Huh? <laughs> I'm going to try. Romans 8.1 is a commonly used passage of scripture to announce to believers that they don't have to carry the sentence of shame anymore. And if we repeat it along with the reader or the preacher, raise our hands, enjoy the organ chords, as it's said with passion, it's true and it's great. But here's the thing. The rich juiciness of chapter eight cannot be experienced if we don't hop up to chapter seven. Ooh, ooh. Oh, my chapter seven. See here, Paul, 
the great apostle, the well-learned, fierce leader, the man on fire, filled with passion of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Paul, that great Paul, come what may, we'll do it all, Paul. This Paul shares with the Romans that the very good thing that he wants to do, he doesn't end up doing. He confesses that instead, it's the stuff he doesn't want to do that he ends up doing. So the great apostle Paul shares with us a quandary that many, many, many followers of Jesus find themselves in. And it's this. How come every time I want to do right, I don't? And whenever I want to do good, evil is right there. Does this sound familiar? Paul goes on to call himself wretched and he asks the necessary question, who is going to pull me out of this mess? Like who can rescue me from me? So what's Paul's answer? What's the fix for his soul to all of this? This human experience that we all encounter, wanting to do right, wanting to have the discipline, wanting to say no, wanting to delete the text thread, wanting to put it down, but we don't. Paul said, been there, done that, but who can help me? Here's his answer. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. That's right. Once again, the answer is Jesus. Y'all remember that old school song? Oh, it is Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus. Y'all better stop. Stop playing. (laughs) Somebody find me an organ. It is Jesus in my soul. I hear my mama singing that right now. So here's the thing, fam. Once we get to chapter eight, we're bubbling over like the Sunday school song. Any old school VBS attenders? Jesus love bubbling over. Here's why we're bubbling over, because Paul just confessed that he has every reason to be ashamed. He has every reason to be in despair. He has every reason to be distraught and to fret over whether he can actually get out of this pit he finds himself in. But see, chapter eight gives the blueprint to how deep the father's love runs for us. How? Glad you asked. Because in verse one, there is therefore... That means there's a connection from seven to eight. Therefore, here's the truth. Here's the logic. There's no condemnation for them who are where? In Christ Jesus. So by verse one, there's no condemnation. By the end, chapter eight, there's no separation. (laughs) Now you'll have to excuse me. I'm gonna try not to holler on this podcast. Be not alarmed. I just love the word. David Guzik, one of my favorite commentators, he says it this, he says it best in this way. Chapter one is no condemnation. The end, there's no separation. And in between, there's no defeat. I think I might take off running. See, all I want to know is this. What other walk of life can provide this assurance to you? Without performance, without having to live up to impossible standards, without the crushing pressure of self-centeredness and the eventual meaninglessness of hustle and grind culture, what other way will love you despite you and never, ever, ever leave you? What other love liberates and gives you the opportunity to shed the shame without having to earn acceptance? What other God does that? I'll wait. But while I'm waiting, I just want to add that when Paul says no condemnation, 
He's not saying less condemnation than what you had before. He's saying none. It doesn't even exist anymore. So for the believer, even the one who had a reason to be ashamed, there's no shame in sight because of our position in Christ Jesus. But the problem is, sometimes we see it as just less condemnation. Isn't that how we treat ourselves and one another at times? I know I'm guilty of this. See, we live as if Jesus died just to make us better or to make us more elevated versions of our already decent enough selves. But that's not the gospel. And that fallacy, it's got us tripping. See, he died so we can be reconciled to the father and conformed to be like him. And it truly gets no better than being like Jesus. This is the act of sanctification. This is transformation. The ability to start off one way and end up entirely, completely different. New, redeemed, transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is also known in scripture as your soul. And I feel led to end the episode here. Next week, we're going to walk through the trails of transformation and we'll answer the question, is it possible for people to truly change? Hope to see you back to find out the answer. Here's my question. And today I'm excited. So I got two. What is something you're ashamed of that you need to let go What is something you're ashamed of that you need to let go? And my follow-up question is, what's stopping you from letting go of what you're ashamed of? Thank you for letting me be with you today. If this brought you any value, I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to the show for more soul-hitting episodes delivered freely to your device each week. Check out our website, soulworkwithsan.com for more thoughts. We're on Facebook and IG at soulworkwithsan. And I'd love to hear from you. So you can email me some of your thoughts, opinions, comments, and any other way that we can serve you. Hit us up at hello at soulworkwithsan.com. That's hello at soulworkwithsan.com. Now, fam, remember, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Talk soon. Mm -hmm.